This episode has been sponsored by Seeds of Growth Grief Education. Seeds of Growth Grief Education trains and certifies professionals working with families in the pregnancy and infant loss community. We are so honored to have you join us for this episode of Beyond the Loss. I'm Aditi Leverage, brief parent to two and parent to one living child. I'm a specialized pregnancy and infant loss coach and founder of the registered charity, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. And I'm Danielle Kaluski, bereaved parent to my daughter, Emelina, and parent to two living daughters. I am the co-founder and director of operations for the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. On this show, we share real stories about parenting and healing through pregnancy and infant loss. We allow space for the often silenced truths around loss to be heard. We offer an affirmative space for all people impacted by loss to share their stories, their triumphs, and their healing. Please remember that the stories shared are personal stories and are not to be used in replacement of professional advice. Please visit our charity link in the show notes for additional support should you need. We are so excited to have you join us for today's episode. Let's start talking. Welcome back to Beyond the Loss with the DD Leverage and Danielle Kluski. Today we are going to be joined by Jillian Hatto and Sarah Cormier, both bereaved mothers. Aditi Leverage will not be with us for this podcast as she is speaking on multiple uh, international women's panels today. So this is Danielle's first time leading the podcast. So hopefully to our listeners out there, you'll be gentle with me. I'd like to introduce Sarah and Jillian. They met at support group seven years ago, organized through the Rotary Flames House for Parents, grieving the loss of a young child. Both mothers lost their perfect daughters in 2014. Quinn Isla Cormier and Hazel Rose Haddo. Quinn and Hazel pass away silently, suddenly and unexpectedly in their sleep. And together, both Sarah and Jillian have fought hard to rise awareness of SIDS, S-U-D-I, and S-U-D-C, joining the SIDS Calgary board and creating foundations in the memory of their children that support other families suffering the devastating loss of a child. Sarah is now the helpline and volunteer coordinator for Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center, and Jillian looks forward to hosting the next retreat for grieving mothers through the Hazel's Heroes. Thank you both for joining me and thanks us today. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. Sarah, did you want to share a little bit about your daughter and your journey as a brief parent? Yeah. So Quinn was born on August 18th, 2014, and she was perfect and wonderful and all of those good, good baby stories, I suppose one would say. And just shortly after Christmas, I put her to sleep and went up a few hours later to nurse her and she was gone. And um, that started this, this journey to finding support and creating support and learning to navigate the systems and advocating for change on so many levels. It was maybe only six weeks after Quinn had died that I met Jillian and I'll never forget that 
that day ever. It's forever imprinted in our whole family's life. I just was desperate to meet someone that had experienced a loss similar to mine. The shock and the suddenness that is associated with, with Sid's deaths. I just needed someone to say that you weren't alone. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I'm experiencing that too. And when I met Jillian, all of those, all of those things happened for me. And and we hugged like no one had ever hugged before. And so began the the everyday love and appreciation and support for one another. And just we work <laughs> together so well. And mm-hmm. we have an amazing friendship and we've watched each other grow and change and, and our families grow and change through other losses, through many joys, some really dark, dark times. And now seven years out, which if you ask Jillian and I both in the, in the be- beginning, we would never, when we looked at people that were five years out, we were like, we will never be there. Mm-mm. No, never. And and we couldn't imagine it together and, and so thankful that we have each other and that we were found each other and that we've grown this SIDS community together. So it was a pretty powerful experience to, to meet another parent so early on, but also just someone that you are so connected to and value beyond measure. I agree wholeheartedly, Sarah. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for sharing Quinn with us. Jillian, can you share a little bit about your journey and what brings you know, your experience with loss? Absolutely. So Hazel was our first child and she was born May 29th, 2014. So just a couple of months before Quinn and just, at, just after three months old, again, put her down, put her down for the night. And I woke up before her, which didn't always happen as we know with three month olds. And so I was surprised and wondering, oh, she's sleeping in. And, um, and she was not sleeping. We had lost her at some point in the night and we didn't know. And that, I mean, when I think back to those early days, I can't, I almost can't, to be honest, it just puts me in a really scary place thinking that that was reality, because I think in some ways it, I just felt like a movie. Um, that it, it couldn't be real. And it took a long time for that initial shock and disbelief to kind of wear off. And I just lived in a state of almost like, I'd say zombie land. Like I just, I was like a zombie. I just kind of went through motions, but I really didn't do much in that first year outside of my home. I had a dog and I'd walk my dog and that, he was kind of my only reason to get out of the house. And I didn't meet any brief parents for, for many months. Um, so um, we lost her at the end of August, and I met Sarah at the uh, the grief support night at Rodeo Flames in February of 2015. And oh, I just remember almost like crumpling to the floor, it, it just being so thankful. Like as soon as we met and laid eyes on each other, there was just like this <laughs> known look between us. And we both just, I mean, we both started bawling. And it's like, we went, we got through the meeting and there were other people at the, at the meeting. And then at the end, at the end, as soon as the meeting ended, we turned to each other and we embraced and we held each other for so long. And then we called each other that night and we were texting all that night and we got together immediately and started to get together for coffee and tea all the time to just talk about what we were going through. Like, 
uh, neither of us knew anyone yet or, or we had met people but didn't have that that connection like me and Sarah did and also with that similar type of loss in such a, a close time period too so you know Sarah and I've been through this with each other throughout same with our husbands and our um and then Sarah had, had Leila at the time and, and I then eventually had more children and so did Sarah so our families kind of like she said they've grown together and we, you know, we also experienced the loss of our daughter, Lily, at just 22 weeks old. And again, Sarah's family was there for us through, I remember Sarah showing up with a ton of frozen fruit from the Calgary farmer's market and just helped. She knew what to do to kind of get us through and having, uh, you know, this, it's been, it's been such a roller coaster of a journey, you know, there's because it, I mean, it hasn't always been low, it hasn't always been the most devastating times, there's been absolute highs. I think also as bereaved parents, you just you almost think, A, you're never going to get through this, that and that brighter times aren't ahead, it's just always going to be devastating. And so then when there, when there was joy, you know, when more children came into our lives or those positive pregnancy tests happened, or, you know, that, that it could still happen, that we could still find joy in that. And that, I think that got us through having, having each other to be able to celebrate each other's um, joys together. You know, it's been really impactful having, I think that for Sarah and I both, because that impacted us so much meeting someone who we can really connect and walk through this with and, and also be advocates for not only I think it, it's so hard to feel like you have a voice in this and, and you might go through you might experience things either at the hospitals or with lack of supports or or anything there's so much you know through through the funeral homes there's so many kind of facets and, and steps and you feel so alone but having someone who's also walked through it it kind of builds you up and I think we have built each other up throughout this journey um, throughout our experiences to kind of push through and fight and fight saying, this is not okay. You know, this needs to change, or we need to add this. And, and that's how we've stayed really connected just by both being members of uh, SIDS Calgary Society. And speaking of SIDS Calgary Society, could one of you or both of you share a little bit about what SIDS Calgary does and also let us know a little bit about what specifically should our audience understand about SIDS or SUDC. Because prior to working with you, Sarah, I thought I knew what SIDS was, but in actuality, I didn't understand the journey. And I really didn't understand what processes happen differently in a SIDS or SUDC death versus like a stillbirth. Yeah, these are great, great questions, Danielle. So hopefully we can collectively kind of answer those. Well, we, we found SIDS Calgary together, I guess, and decided <laughs> together <laughs> that we felt at that point that the, that the parent support part was lacking. You know, it was seven years ago and there was kind of this belief that SIDS deaths were, were not a thing anymore, um, that they didn't happen. And so it was, that added like the isolation factor for both of us. And like Jillian said, that fight, we were like, no, it's happening. We're right here in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are we going to do to, to change this? So we, we, we joined the board in trying to bring more parent support and just build that connection. And we knew that there was other parents out there and we wanted to, like I say, whenever we meet someone like wrap our arms around them and, and love on them and, and support them because of those unique 
pieces that come with a SID's death, right? There is involvement from police or RCMP. And Jillian and I both had RCMP involvement. And it was just, there's those struggles that come with with being convicted, I suppose, of, of, a, of a crime and, and the, the waiting. Um, we also know that the, that the term SIDS isn't used anymore, which we didn't know at the time. And then to wait 18 months for the autopsy to come back and it to say undetermined, that was really hard concept to understand and embrace and work with. And so we, we really wanted to put some advocacy and some heart behind that name change to undetermined. So we, we did create that video to kind of names matter and, and names do matter to bring awareness to that and the importance of keeping SIDS and SUDC deaths as SIDS and SUDC deaths, not just undetermined deaths. So we've been working on that for quite a few years, along with the support of our amazing board. So we have medical professionals and also bereaved parents. And we did feel like when we joined the board too, that the voices of bereaved parents were maybe second in comparison to medical professionals. So we really wanted to kind of level that out, so to speak, and have a really good mixture. And we both brought that and have, have, have brought other bereaved parents on board. And really some of our biggest supporters are those medical professionals or those other people that are in close proximity to us, I guess, in those circles of support, however you want to look at that. And then, yeah, yeah I think just- having, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I think having more parents on the board, especially recent parents joined the board helped, it helped our community better realize the, the, the giant impact that, I mean, I can't even use the word big enough, you know, the deep devastating impact that uh, child loss has on a family. And I think that it was really important, especially in the medical community. And I, and I not just since, but I think in all medical communities for, for them to be involved with people who have experienced, you know, what they are researching or what they are trying to find out more information about, because it, it just, it adds that humanitarian, I don't know if that's the right word, but the humanity to it. And I really think the board is absolutely fantastic. And they've really embraced that parent voice needs to come first. And that parent support needs to come first before and above and beyond anything else. And I, I think that Sarah and I have had, you know, a, a profound impact on that board for, for making change in supporting brief parents. So sorry to cut in there, Sarah. No, I was going to say, uh, yeah, you add in because it's exactly that. We, yeah, they've embraced us and, and we have embraced them and it's, it's worked so lovely to really be impactful in this community. And we realized like how giant this community is and the lack of support. So we really, we really try to personalize and reach out to each and every parent that we meet and, and connect together. And, and like, like, yeah. And like Sarah said earlier about, so I'm not sure if this is really clear to the lost community, but what happened was the medical field stopped calling SIDS death, SIDS death. They, they now only call it undetermined. And that's been for a number of years now. And that kind of went under the radar for a long time. And so what happened was when you stop using a, when you start using a name like SIDS, which means sudden infant death syndrome, when you stop using a term like that, then it doesn't get used in regular language. It doesn't get brought up, say, in prenatal courses. It doesn't get talked about in books that are written, you know, not that long ago. So it becomes something that gets forgotten about. And so when something gets forgotten about, people say, oh, it doesn't happen anymore. Because 
the medical examiner's fields, now they're saying, oh, there are no SIDS deaths. Well, it's because there's no such thing as SIDS deaths. They don't, they don't call it that. So they call it undetermined now, like Sarah said, but undetermined can go under a whole, there could be an 86 year old that dies from undetermined causes, right? So now it, it, it's very confusing. And that's why we've been kind of fighting for, no, we need to still use these terms that people are comfortable with or that they're familiar with, I guess, a bit more familiar with, because when you start using familiar terms, then confusion happens. And I, I've talked to new young moms of in their 20s that had never heard of SIDS because now they're in that age bracket where now SIDS hasn't been something, a term that's been used since, you know, they're old enough to remember. So that's, that's that important facet. And there's, there's a lot of differences. I know, Danielle, you asked kind of like what, you know, a SIDS loss it, it is. I mean, they're all, they're all different, but having that unexpected undetermined, no, no reason found, you know, like Sarah said, 18 months later, we both waited 18 months to get any information for the medical examiner for the autopsy report and nothing comes back. They said, Oh, we, I remember getting that call. They said, Oh, like she was almost so happy. It was like getting a report card for Hazel who had been with me saying her heart looked great. Her lungs look great. Her kidneys look, you know, going through all her organs and saying how everything looks so great yet but she's not here and you're not, and you don't have an answer for me. And so, you know, nothing feels at that point, the results the same. You're not going to get your child back, but there's something to be said about having a reason and being able to maybe do research on that or support advocacy for telling other parents, like, look for this, you know, in your child or get this test done. We are still left hanging and there's nothing we can suggest to parents uh, to do or to look into or to look out for. Um, and it's so scary and it's so isolating and so um, isolating. Yeah. and and right now I feel like we're not even you know we don't know how many parents are out there that are that are SIDS lost parents because again with them not using that term parents then don't even know how to they don't think to google SIDS, SIDS support Calgary or something you know because they don't even know what they should be looking at they just look they just see undetermined right and so something you said really uh, stood out to me and that was, you know, when you're looking at SIDS and the fact that there, it isn't in the books that you're reading, what I remember reading a lot, and you can speak more on this is, you know, the safe sleep, the focus is not SIDS anymore. It's about safe sleep. But I remember Sarah, you sharing that safe sleep is like a portion of SIDS and SUDC. Like it's such a small portion of what that whole kind of that whole category looks like. And yet that's all we hear. Yeah. Yeah. And that for us was really hard to hear too, because we thought that that can't be the only reason, right? Like sleep and, and death shouldn't be so closely related. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so through further research and knowledge and, and information from our medical professionals, we, we come to learn that that is just a potentially a small piece of it. And it's not even that it's, it's that it happens in a time of sleep, right? We can do all of these uh, quote unquote preventative things where babies sleep on their backs, the ABCs, right? Alone on their back in in a crib, crib, right? And those were present for us, right? So there had to be something else. So we need to start looking at the brain. We need to start looking at the receptors, the vagus nerve. We call it like the the trifecta. And I've how it was explained to me is that the age 
the, the sleep environment or conditions and something medical is there. And those three aligned and the holes in the Swiss cheese just lined up into this perfect, which is so weird to say, perfect way to see through perfect to the storm. other side. This perfect storm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. This perfect and, storm. And, it, and it's not necessarily going to be that way for, for every child. And, and that's also why yeah. that's also why there needs to be more research and more advocacy. And, and really throughout Canada, there's not, there's not a ton. There's not much. We have been for all these years, especially since we joined since Calgary, we've been reaching out to groups from all across Canada to see if they have any uh, SIDS networks, any SIDS research happening or any supports for families. And there's very little, very little support out there. And again, I think it's just like that lack of awareness and lack of resources for parents to reach out to. So then parents don't reach out. And then it just, it's just this constant cycle where it's not growing. But but because because they are still undetermined, there's still there could be so much research, more research happening to find out more. But mine and Sarah's main area that we like to focus on is really the parent support side. That's kind of, I think, our passion point. Yeah. And mine, I think through SIDS Calgary joining the board you know, just less than a year after losing our, our daughters, we started, you know, different uh, parent support night meetups. We have an annual picnic, you know, in the park where we join, where all, all families and friends and anyone who wants to come is invited to celebrate on our children. We host the wave of light every year um, with some other groups too. And, um, but, but Sarah and I started that just me and her, I think with our, with our husbands, just lighting some candles there and, and it's really grown. So I just think having those opportunities where we're, where you're bringing people together and that they know they're not alone, just like Danielle, I mean, you guys are the experts in that with, with pills, just knowing how important that is that people can find you. I think having, you know, that just make, getting yourself out there and that, and that you're hosting different events so that people, depending on where they are, their stage of grief, that they can access you and feel comfortable accessing your resources and supports. So that's been a, that's been a big point for us. Yeah, we really felt that in each other. And we wanted to, to create a, a community together mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So we those... always felt guilty. Like we, Sarah and I are so close. And we have that connection. We're like, other parents need this. You know, other parents need to find their Sarah. They need to find their partner in crime to get through this. And I know that not everyone does. Not everyone, I, you know, I, I do recognize that Sarah and I are, are both extroverts, definitely. And not everyone has that same personality where they don't necessarily need their, their partner in crime to get them through, but to just know again, that they're not alone. And so just having one alone. person, yes, having even just one person to, to call or to text and say like, did you go through this too? Or what did you answer when people asked how many kids did you have? Or what did you say when to your older child, when they ask about their child, you know, so to their siblings. So there's so many questions that you don't want to Google. You want to talk to someone who's experienced it. Yeah. You want that in person. I hear you. I experienced that because I didn't have somebody to walk the journey with. It's been in the last three years that Adina and I've worked together to walk the journey of grief. But prior to that, I did not have consistent support because nobody in my network, nobody, you know, had experienced a stillbirth and experienced, you know, the uncertainty, although SIDS and stillbirth, there's a lot of differences. There's also a lot of commonalities in, you know, I don't know why my child died in my uterus. Like according, you know, they said, do you want an autopsy? I said, what is the autopsy going to tell me on a stillbirth? They're like, likely nothing. And they were very clear with me that likely it would be considered undetermined just as you guys were sharing. And they were, and my midwife was like, 
Danielle, you don't want that stress. It's going to be a long time. You might as well start your grief process now. So that's how I have walked the last 10 years. That being said, listening to both of you share your connection and the community found, what has, you know, that living beyond the loss look like over the last seven years? Because as you shared, you both have gone on to add, you know, additional children, as well as your foundation work. What does look, what has, you know, living beyond that loss look like for you? (laughs) Yeah, that living beyond the loss. Well, first, I think like we didn't know that there was life after for a long time. And to be at a, a point in this journey, it's a, just a checkpoint at this point for me. And knowing that there, that we can move forward together, I guess, was a, a big comfort to me for sure. And it looks like the small things now, texting each other just to say, hey, I saw a ladybug and I thought of Hazel. And Jill to say, I saw this cute fox hat and I thought of Quinn, right? It's these small, joyful moments that we know that they're sending signs to us, that they're always with us, that they're present with us in our everyday life and that we're, that we're taking them with us and their journey, you know, our journey is, is their journey. Sharing their names, ordering at Starbucks under their name, just these small moments, not these big, complicated, dark, deep conversations that we once had. These, these small, joyful moments now, right? Teaching our, our living children about them and teaching our living children about SIDS and unexpected deaths and being more confident in that and just bringing awareness in our families even and just sitting in those quiet moments now versus these big over-the-top things that we felt like we once had to do in their honor, but also in our conversations about them. They're just interwoven now in those, those small, quiet moments together. Would you add anything, Jill? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, like grief has changed so much. And I think how we parent them has changed so much. And I think this kind of echoes your sentiment, Sarah, that, you know, we, we realize that we are, you know, we, we continue to parent our girls all the time. And it's just sometimes it's within, our, within ourselves, within, in our hearts or in our heads, you know, and we do them in quiet ways. And you know what? Sometimes we do them in loud ways too. And sometimes yep. we still do have those deep, dark moments. And, and I kind of need them still too, in some ways. Like I, I know that when I am having, you know, I watched Coco the other day again. And every time I, walk, I watch that movie, I mean, I'm a bawling mess on the floor and it just makes me really, there's certain things that will just always make you think of your children and the, what should have been, what could have been, and what happened that takes you back to those moments, like those initial days of those initial days, weeks, months of loss. And so kind of when we get in those dark moments, just, I think, I, I know that I can reach out to, to my other lost friends and say, I'm struggling. How about you? Even though it's been seven years later, it's still okay. It's still okay to, to struggle and to think of them and to miss them and to wish, but those it's just for further and fewer apart in terms of those kind of deep, dark, heavy moments. And it's hard to even say like living beyond the loss. It is, I mean, it's, it's beyond loss, but it's always with, with the loss, you know, with it's with them in our hearts, with us all the time. Like there's just my son every morning when he, we look outside and if we see any hint of pink or orange in the sky, he said, look, mom, Hazel, Lily, 
come to say hi to us. And every day, even today on the drive, we saw a bit of orange and he says it. And it's those kind of moments. It's just as like, yeah, they're there. Awesome. I hope they're having fun today, you know, and just, and just talk about them really naturally and embedding them into conversation while simultaneously getting asked. I got asked last week, how many kids? And I said, oh, I'm raising two children at home. I kind of word my sentences in ways because I, it's, it's not that I'm ignore, choosing to ignore them or forever forgetting about them. That's not the case, but just kind of protecting our hearts. And I, and I think that's important for other grieving parents out there that may be listening to this podcast that it's, it's okay. You know, I, and I, for so long just couldn't, and, but I'd find myself unraveling at the seams when I was kind of opening my heart up to that, to a Safeway clerk or to, you know, at a dentist's office or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's, it's okay to just to it's okay in those moments to either open it up, open up and share, or to just hold them, hold, hold your child in your heart. And so it's really, it's changed. And I, and I think what, what has happened the most for me is that I'm, I'm getting okay with that change. I'm okay with one day. It feels heavy. One day it doesn't. One day I'm answering. I have four children. The next day I'm answering. I have two children and it's all okay. And I'm not beating myself up like I did for those first couple of years. Yeah. And I think you shared something that it's very interesting because there's a commonality between the three of us. And that is our children show, I believe that they have shown us how much that they love their siblings that aren't here and how they show up by pointing out the sky or when it snows for our family, our youngest says, mom, look, Emelina came down to (sighs) remind us she's here. Or in the summer when we see the butterflies and it's like our children, like before loss and after loss, love their siblings. So hopefully and honestly, that I believe it kind of sets us up for success as ourselves to also show up the same way. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Like there's days where I'm like, wow, Natalia honors Emelina like so much and speaks about the sister that she doesn't, she never met. You know, she was born three years after her sister had left the earth. And yet she shows up as, you know, in love for that sister each and every day and reminds me to show up the same way. And, you know, I've had those conversations, Jillian, where they're like, how many children do you have? And I'm like, oh, or some people ask me because I have a huge age difference between my kids. I've got nine years. They're like, oh, so is this a second marriage? And I'm like, no, actually it's not. And then at that point, it's like, well, where do you go? Do you speak? Do you not? Am I not honoring? And as you shared, Jillian, it's it's where you are that day. My husband's very blunt. My husband says, I have three kids, two are here. One passed away. She was born still. And people just like shut up and they're like, what did he just say? And I'm like, Mario's like, you don't have to say this every time, but that's how he manages it and how he honors it. And I was like, good for you. I don't think the Safeway clerk needed to know that, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone, you know, and that's why conversations like this is so important. I think really constantly raising awareness as talking about them. I know like just through social media posts over the last number of years, I, I'll now I'll always get random people messaging me that I haven't spoken to many years that maybe either their friend experienced a loss or they have and they're like, oh my gosh. I'm starting to understand some of your posts. Like I didn't really get it. And, and I get that not, you know, sometimes it does take going through something to fully understand, obviously, I think in this case, but I think sharing and talking about it in those social events, posting or whatever, it helps people to, to figure out, okay, how can I be a good friend? How can I 
how can I have conversations? What, what, what do they need from me? I think that it's important to, to be talking more about loss and grief, all types of grief. And that it's not just the stereotypical, what everyone talks about with the five stages of grief, you know, that there's just so much more it's um, so I think the more conversations we have and bring it up to the surface, the more, I, I hope that my experience and how I've been open with it. I hope that that then the people around me, they might not to ever tell me, but maybe someone will now feel that they've learned a little bit more so that if they know someone that has experienced it, they can support them a little bit better than they would have otherwise. And speaking about that community, like outside, maybe Sarah, you can start with this. What, was there something that over the last seven years, somebody has done or said that has really impacted your grief in a way that has made it I'm not going to say easier, but maybe more bearable. I know it's a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. And I think, yeah. Because I think back to myself 10 years ago. And for me, it was how much food was dropped on my step. I never knew how much food, when you've experienced the devastation of a loss, and especially as you shared, it was sudden, it was unexpected and out of absolutely nowhere, how much food played such an important piece of how I managed that for six months. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. And, and, and I think you both know, like a friend showed up with a freezer, hmm. right. And that was, a, that was a big, big thing because you had to get somewhere to put all this food now, right. They showed up with a freezer, an empty freezer and, and they put the food in there. I think so many people have impacted and said things to me that have really supported me. And now that I'm, I'm farther out, I suppose, I can really reflect back on those, those profound, powerful, small things that people said. I think a big thing for me that changed the journey is how we rise up again, right? And how, how we choose to rebuild that, rebuild ourselves and our families and just the, the rebuilding and the, the rising up after. The counselor said to me, like, you had a beautiful castle all established and, and it's, it's been knocked out from underneath you. And now how are you going to spend the time like weaving Quinn into that and, and building a, a, a new castle? And, and, and I realized in that journey, I don't want a castle. I wanted a nice little bungalow, so to speak. And, <laughs> and it, it be woven with love and, and honoring and, and support. Right. And, and being a support to others and, and just rebuilding that in a way that, that is honoring and cherishes and, and memorializes Quinn and, and that journey and, and what we've been through and, and recognizing her in those small moments. Right. Um, I think that's a, that was a, a big one for me is yeah. And it's going to take time. It's, it's going to take time and yeah. There I is think light. You do a great job of that, Sarah. I know you, you. you just, I know that when I just, I know that I, and I know that there's thousands of people out there who also think of Quinn every time they see an orange fox or they, they hear that they hear her name, you know, on someone else. Or I think your family has done an incredible job of just making sure that she does have a lasting legacy for many thank lifetimes. For many lifetimes. Thank you. What about yourself, Jillian? Was there a moment in this last seven years or was there somebody said or did something that really impacted your, your journey? Yes. I, and I, and I say this to uh, as many other grieving parents as I can, because it did impact me. It was that 
it was after a chunk of time where I just, like I said, like I didn't really, I didn't really get out of my house or leave maybe my bed sometimes or, or really cook or do anything for myself. And, and I had all these friends who were worried about me, but like not necessarily not helpful that, you know, they were more, they thought they were being helpful by telling me to go back to work or join a yoga class. I'm like that, uh, honestly, that it would, it, it just would have made me have panic attacks. And that isn't helpful. You know, um, I even one time listened to them and, and took like an art class and had a panic attack in the middle of an art class with no one, with strangers. And that was the worst feeling. And it was awful. So when I shared how I was feeling with a counselor who was just like the best counselor ever and just so supportive, she said to me, oh, good for you. you when I said that I'd been like in my house for the last two weeks, and I didn't really do anything and, and just been feeling really down. She said, oh, good for you. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> She's like, you're listening to yourself. You are exactly where you need to be. Those two weeks you really needed to just sit in your bed and, and good for you. You did that. You listened. And I needed that. I needed someone to validate and not someone to constantly tell me what I needed to do. Only I, only I knew. And it was important that I listened to myself for that. Obviously, I'm not saying that if someone is, you know, in a really dark, scary place that, you know, that they shouldn't do anything about it, that people should support them. But I think we also need to support people where they're at and, and bring them bring them the food, bring them a hot chocolate. Don't expect conversation maybe, and, or just sit with them. Don't ex- just let them cry on your shoulder, whatever it is, or sit blankly and stare at the prices, right? Whatever, you know, I-, I needed that. I needed that validation saying, this is okay. Whatever you're, whatever you're doing, it's okay. Because everyone else was telling me the opposite and it made things worse. Everyone thinking that they were trying to be helpful, that they were helping me. Yeah. By giving me their opinion, someone who'd never gone through child loss, someone who had never felt any kind of depression really. And was just telling me all the things that I should do. Oh, that was, that was hard. So yeah, that, I mean, I guess I feel like I could go for hours, but all the things people said that was the wrong thing, but that was the right thing that really did help me, help me through. So thanks. That was a good question. And I think, and you shared, like, I remember mm-hmm. I didn't want to get out of my house. I was afraid to leave my house. Then when I ventured out of my house, I would only do drive throughs because I didn't want to expose myself to that. And every time somebody asked me a question, like, how are you? I'm like, stop asking me how I'm art because I'm horrible. Within days of our daughter passing, we had to go down because we lived in BC. I had to cross the border to pick up something I'd shipped. And on our way back, the border person had asked why we were coming back. And my husband very bluntly said, we were picking up our deceased daughter's blanket and monitor. And the look on the person's face was just pure shock. And I was like, well, you asked. You asked. This is why we went down and they basically handed us back our passports and went, I am so sorry. You can go on with your day. And I was like, wow, that was the fastest border crossing I've ever done. But it reminds me of you have to do what you have to do. And if that means staying in your home and not leaving your home, that's okay. And if it means going out for a walk with your friend, that's okay too. You know, your, your counselor was right. We have to listen to each other and we have to empower ourselves I feel like, especially as individuals that identify as women to listen to ourselves and not listen to everybody else because powering through or not listening or not following our feelings puts us in a very challenging way when it comes to our grief. Well, yeah. And even with all the similarities that Sarah and I have, 
we did things very differently. You know, Sarah, Sarah was back at work. What was it? Six, six weeks, Hmm. but she had, and I don't want to speak to you for you, Sarah, but for what you told me, you, you know, you had a really supportive work environment and some wonderful people around you. I had just moved to Calgary when Hazel was born. I had no friends. I didn't get a freezer. I didn't get food. I didn't get any, you know, I, I, I didn't, because I didn't have any friends here. I didn't know anyone. So it, it was so different for me. Sarah was able to go to a place where she had love and support and kindness. And I would, I'd be going through interviews. Well, I wasn't able to go through an interview and tell people why I didn't have, you know, what I was, why I was applying for a job right after being on mat leave. So it, everyone's experiences are so different from before. And even if our personalities are really similar. So I just think that if there's anyone listening right now that is, you know, grieving and, Maybe you're str- you feel like you're struggling right now or your family or friends, they're worried about you. Just know that you're doing what's best for you and that you're listening to your heart. And that's what's really important. This is a perfect segue to our question that will wrap up today's podcast, which is before I go to that question, I just want to thank both of you for your honesty and your truth and for sharing both Quinn and Hazel with all of our listeners and with myself. I too, when I find a fox item, I think of Sarah immediately. I had a coffee cup before it broke that had a fox on it. So every time I had a meeting with Sarah, I always made sure I grabbed that mm-hmm. coffee mug and uh, ladybugs are my youngest daughter's obsession. And so we shared that some of our friends, their daughter, you know, by the name of Hazel, that's how they recognize her. So every time they see, she sees a um, ladybug, she says, mom, your friend's daughter, Hazel came uh. And yes. it's through that, that I know that our children are going to be memory, our, our children are important and we are going to consistently honor and carry their memory with us. Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time and tell yourself something that, you know, now, what would you tell yourself? Was there a piece of advice that you would give yourself back then? Oh, I can start, I guess. I, yeah, I really, I really, um, was in a pretty dark, lonely place, you know, for, uh, for quite a long time. And a lot of the conversations, you know, Sarah and I had too, or we, you know, continue to have even, are just like, how, what, what are you gonna do? Like when, when your daughter's in kindergarten class and get asked to do draw the family tree, what did they, we, we were always just so worried and so anxious worried. about how we were going to continue including our daughters and, and how they'd be included, you know, with other people with like our, with, with our siblings and, or sorry, with our children. And I guess what I would tell myself is not to worry too much about that because it's going to happen. It happens so naturally without even realizing it, that they are like Sarah said, woven. They're so intricately woven into the design pattern of our life, into everything we do without any, sometimes without any intention. It's just so natural. And, and I, I always say the girls are always in my heart. So if they're always in my heart, then I'm always parenting them and I'm always finding ways to parent them without even meaning to, it just happens in those conversations, sometimes in those very direct ways too, where like having a birthday celebration or, or that, or that annual tradition, you know, every family has their, their different ways, but for us, um, just knowing that I'm always going to find ways to embed Hazel and Lily into our lives and forever and ever, and to not worry too much about that because I was so scared that how am I going to continue parenting them? How are people going to know who they are? And, and I figured that out. I continue to. Yeah, I think that is beautifully said, Jill. And I would echo that 
wholeheartedly that yeah be gentle on yourself and and yeah it just starts to happen just so naturally and it's such a comforting feeling and just really yeah not putting so much pressure on yourself I think we just put so much pressure on ourselves for everything that we be the best board members that we say their name every single day and if we didn't say their name then they're you know I didn't say their name today um right Mm -hmm. um and now it's just it's so intrinsic and just oh they're in there and they're woven and their siblings know them and their cousins know them and strangers know them and it, it, it just, it just happens. And yeah, not, not to put so much pressure on yourself in the, the beginning or the first few years or at any point, just don't put so much pressure on yourself. It does. It, it, it starts to happen and it's magical and it shows up in, in the little moments and it shows up in these really big moments too. And just to fully embrace that and be thankful for that and just yeah, relish in it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relishing in that light versus that darkness. And and we did, we did, I think probably for the first couple of years, our conversations always focused on the what ifs. Mm-hmm. What if someone forgets them? What if I forget them? What if I forget what they smell like? What if I forget? Mm-hmm. What if I forget? What if, if I forget? Or who forgets? And this person said this, and they're going to forget. And and people don't forget. And you, and you don't forget too, because they're in your heart, just like Jill said, like Mm -hmm. they're in your heart and, and that's love. Right. So yeah, we carry them with us always. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank both of you for your time, for your stories and the work that you do on behalf of all this parents in Calgary and actually on a national wide, because I know that through your work, you will impact and you are changing the narrative for SIDS families. I want to share that Pregnancy and Infant Loss does have SIDS program where we have a weekly six-week support group as well as a drop-in support SIDS group. And we welcome all families wherever you are to, if you feel called to join the SIDS drop-in, that you contact the center or you look on our website for more details and you will find your community because I can say that our most recent SIDS group has really connected and found their community. And it's amazing. The It's amazing what impact their children's lives are having on each other and will continue to have. Again, thank you for your time today. And I'm sure we'll have you both on again to share more about SIDS, SUDC, and kind of continue that bereaved parent story. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Danielle. Well done on your first one solo. (laughs) 